Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. We'd like to acknowledge the traditional people of this land in Los Angeles, the Keech, Shumash, and Tongva people, and pay respects to them. Salvador Dali threw a great party. We all drank Bacardi. It got kind of gnarly. We're light as a feather. We're tougher than leather. Together we're weirder. We're weirder together. Hello there. Well, hello there. Hello. I see you have your new t-shirt. There's a new fad in t-shirts, which thick, thick cotton boxy in a way like 80s or like there's something remember those t-shirts were like worn was popular like five years ago men's t-shirts got softer and softer until the point where sometimes i would have one on and i would think i was shirtless they were so <laughs> sheer i would feel a cool breeze across my nips and just be like i'm not wearing a top and they'd be like no i am i'm wearing like a 300 dollars who was that james purse t-shirts that like felt like you know, nothing. And yeah, now they've like gone. Yeah, it's like the condoms, like a thick old school condom, like rubber. And then what was there is like they made a, this pigskin or something, right? Or no. <laughs> oh, pigskin condoms were huge. Really? No, what was it? There no, was they were some... like just extra protection. No, no, a thin condom or oh, something. Oh, thin, like natural. I don't know. Or something. Um, but these now t-shirts, men's t-shirts have bounced back in the other direction where I would say that this style of t-shirt, this thick cotton is what I would call like 90s free merch style <laughs> it's like when you would go to a radio station and they'd have printed something out and gift it to you yeah. and it would be like cardboard and hold its shape through like a hundred washes and that is the way it seems like most of the merch i'm buying from like hey. younger artists or stuff is like this kind of style. everything so, old is new again i know but also like is everything bad good again like do <laughs> things like we understand the cycles of fashion and trends but it's weird for something that was like impractical, like a thick, uncomfortable cotton that doesn't breathe and doesn't ever get broken in. Like nostalgia is interesting because we want also it's like a combo of nostalgia and then just refreshing. Like we we get sick of something and then also we're nostalgic at the same time. So we got sick of short skirts and then we wanted flowy long skirts. But it's yeah, I don't know. It's, Are there any styles that you hated the first time around that you bought into on a revisit? I mean, I didn't I, I didn't hate high-waisted pants because I was a child of the 70s. But then when they came back, I usually will resist a fashion trend and then I get broken down. But usually my instinct, you know, if I go, to, go in a shop back when, in brick and mortar days, someone would say, this is really popular. I would think then I don't want it. But then I find lately you know, baggy, I like tight. And then now I'm like back into baggy. But I I always, I went really big into the B-boy era. I that was loved. your 90s, your 90s style. It was baggy. Straight up, yeah. Baggy and you pants. Wore, you didn't wear dresses really, right? No, I did a combo of, uh, I had a lot of flowy. Well, the 80s was sort of vintage. I had vintage, you know, dresses and combat boots kind of look. And then, but I didn't really do like the midriff thing. That's mm. something I never, well, no, again, the 70s, tube tops, I loved a tube top. I don't know what fashions, I mean, I 
I don't know. I, I think um, the he- men doing glam, heavy metal glam, I wonder if I would ever have done that. I don't think I would have done that, although I appreciate it when I see it now. You mean like the girls, like the leather and studs Def and the teased leopard. hair and all that sort of Def- thing, spandex, Def- fishnets. Yeah, but I do love, like when I see Olivia Newton-John in those black shiny pants in Greece, like that disco, yeah, I do. I like it all. Uh, speaking of nostalgia and styles. I had a very nostalgic experience the other night. I went to see Liz Fair on the 30th anniversary of the Exiling Guyville record. Amazing. A record that I have very deep connection to. Where were you when you were listening to it? Okay. So Noise Addict, my band had started. So this was 92 and we were playing, you know, loud, alternative, grungy kind of punk pop stuff. And I was writing all of these songs acoustically, thinking that they were going to be songs that I would record with the band, but these were like demo versions of them. And then Steve Pav, who I would, uh, from Fellaheen, became modular at the time, um, I would give him these tapes that I'd recorded into my boombox and they were all acoustic. And I guess he gave them to Mike D and then right in that year was when Exile in Guyville, the Liz Fair record came out. And everyone fell in love with that record. And there was this conversation going, is like, why doesn't Ben go and record his songs acoustically the way the Liz Fair record is done with those guys? So that's how I ended up doing Grandpa Wood in Chicago with Brad Wood. Because that's Amazing. his record. So, and I'm Liz sang on listened. that first record. I'm glad you listened. Oh, what song? Oh, she sang A Minor Way with the Pixies. Cute. But the first song I ever heard of hers was in Pav's apartment. I remember I was in year seven. And after school, stopped by his place, and he'd got a mixtape with Fuck and Run on it. Yeah. And it was, it's hard for people now when like euphoria and everything is so transgressive yeah. about teens. This was so deeply disturbing at the time, like Fuck and Run, Fuck and Run, ever since I was 17, ever since I was 12. Yeah. That was a crazy lyric to hear someone singing. Yeah. Um, but, and then that record, I just, uh, it's funny, like I bumped into a lot of people from back in the day at the show. Um, I bumped into Ed Drost. I bumped into Rachel uh, Kirsten. Um, bumped in, I know, uh, one of Josh Radner's. There was, there was tons of just music people there. And we were all talking about how you don't listen to albums the way you used to listen to albums, where like every song, every like you never skipped anything. Yeah, you know? yeah. It was such a specific experience. I know, that's so true. Do you, when did you first hear that record? I think I heard that record in New York. And yeah, it was older. Um, I heard it after- Eight years the, older than me, probably. I heard yeah. it after the fact. And I didn't hear it when it came out. I heard it later, like, you know, it was already 15 years old or something. Oh, right. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, the show is really cool. She does a really like kind of muscular thing now that's like, you know, her tastes are more hi-fi than Brad's are. So I think what you had with that record was a real meeting of the minds. It was yeah. like the right thing at the right time where yeah. he brought out this sort of more lo-fi But Supernova album? That was already, she was like already getting bigger. Lo-fi, no? Uh, She she progressively got bigger and bigger sounding. I think she, um, I think her vision of her own success was always much more that she would be like a Tom Petty, Sheryl Crow, like big arena kind of singer. But it's interesting. She's, it's, it's been an interesting road for her because 
I, I mean, I can relate to this. People hold very closely to how they first discover yes. you. Yes. And they are, like, reluctant to go through different iterations sometimes. And her first record was so much bigger than mine that whatever pressure I felt, like, was dwarfed by what she would have felt. Like, that record, I think, went... I don't know if it went platinum. It definitely went gold. Oh, it was okay. a big yeah, record. I didn't know that. Oh, and it's still on, like, if Rolling Stone does a you know, top 50 albums of the last 100 years, it'll be in there. It was an important record. So it was just so cool hearing her do all those songs and just knowing all the parts and seeing how much it meant to everybody. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. So good. And um, and then also, uh, and it was fun because I got to take Safi to the show. Right. And she she knows Liz Fair and likes her and, and knows some of the lore, but it's kind of cool when you see that generational thing when you go to a show and you're like, whoa, I didn't realize it was like this meaningful yeah, to this Safi many people. Yeah, Safi is early 20s. Yeah, I think mid-20s now. I can't so it's yeah. cool to take a young woman to see a woman singing about dating and to see if it registers with a younger generation. Absolutely. And it is funny that like so much of the shock value is a little bit drained out of it. Like we were talking about fuck and run, like me yeah. and Safi, and she was like, oh yeah, I remember people... This one, this song has the F word in it. So people <laughs> it was like, yeah, exactly. That made a really big impact. Um, but there's a, yeah, there's, but it was really interesting. It was like really, it is funny how sort of like, you know, she went to Oberlin. Yeah. Where your little brother went to, mm-hmm. who was the first person who ever taught me the word cis. Oh, yeah. So that is like always been a vanguard of progressive culture. Yes. Which is really interesting that Liz mm. came out of that too. Yeah, yeah. You know. So the other thing that I watched that was kind of nostalgic and made me reflect was the Robbie Williams documentary on Netflix. Right. And what are your associations with Robbie Williams? I I met Robbie Williams with my brother and I thought I love, I always love who my brother's bringing around because my brother's a lively character and he, he's just a mover and a shaker. And, and that was it. Robbie had moved to LA at that point. I think yeah. so. And I, I just thought he was fun and, I had no idea. And then you, Ben Donovan was like, yeah, yeah, he's like a big thing in England. And and then later, did we meet him in Australia? No. Oh, no, no. I think we were just watching a documentary about him or something. <laughs> Maybe. You met Daniel Johns. Is that who you're thinking of? No, From no. I think I'm just because I saw, oh, no, I saw like a show. I don't know what we were talking about. I'm sorry. Oh, well, they were shooting the Robbie Williams. I auditioned. To play play Guy Chambers in the yeah. Robbie Williams movie that was shooting in it? Australia. Yeah, it's not out yet. Spencer edited it. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So yeah, I think so. It was funny. It was just one of those things where, like, um, you know, searching for Sugarman or something, where you find out about someone who's massive and you did not know them at all. But you know what's weird about that? Like, Sugarman was popular in one territory, right? right. In South Africa. Um, Robbie Williams was huge everywhere except America. Yeah. That is so And remember nuts. Gad, um, the the French- Oh, yeah, Gad El Malais, yeah. The and, French comedian uh, also was like the French Seinfeld. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, totally. But it's weird I, when things like just don't connect in America. It is like, it, it it's a very specific, for something to break here is really- Now I want to know more job. things that haven't broken in America. I mean, Kylie Minogue- has had hits in America, yeah. but not to the degree of everywhere else. Well, you in would the know world. her name, like yeah. Robbie Williams. Like, it, 
and people don't realize how big he also, was. Also, when you said so. I saw Robbie Williams documentary, I thought you're I meant I thought you meant Robbie Robertson or Robin Williams. No, Robbie from the band. The band, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And well, I mentioned to Safi like, oh yeah, I watched this four part Netflix thing about Robbie Williams. She was like, four parts? What's that? Is <laughs> and that is that's growing up in America where you don't realize that this guy was the he was like Madonna or Michael Jackson. And the thing that. You know, I've been looking a lot at my own relationship to anxiety and performing on stage mm-hmm. lately. It's something I'm sort of like trying to dive into a little more to reach the next level of... I think I talked about this on a pod a few weeks back when I was playing in Australia during the referendum and the war breaking out with Israel and Gaza. And I was like, oh my God, how do I stand up on a stage and be relaxed and hold space for the audience? And I sort of realized that like, Unless you can contain your own anxiety, there's no, you have no hope of containing the audiences. Mm. And I was just watching these things of Robbie Williams having a full on anxiety attack from beginning to end of a show he's headlining in front of 70,000 people. And how, what a journey it is to just be able to handle that pressure. He performed and it was fine. Well, I don't know if it was fine. I think he like, created two of himself in a way oh right like i think but, performers but he did do the that. Show, like you wouldn't have known yeah he was he was more aware of how scared he was no I but think. i mean watching it you wouldn't have known you wouldn't have known no he could he knew no but hey they i understand what you you're saying. watching would not have known i understand yeah I get what's it. the answer I just said, yeah, you wouldn't have known. Oh, but got he it. Knew. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry he was well that aware <laughs> that he was in the midst of an anxiety. <laughs> I thought you weren't day. answering my question. I thought I was. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were um, like, yeah, no, yeah, he. I'm like, not him, you. Um, but anyway, that was pretty, <laughs> it was pretty interesting. I lost my temper. We saw him play once. Do you remember when, where was that bar that was upstairs? Was it like, did Moomba have an LA counterpart at one point? Maybe. And remember- Dono's band Camp Freddy played, and Robbie Williams got up and did Fat Bottom Girls by Queen with uh-huh. Slash on guitar. Uh. And I'll never forget this moment where Robbie Williams, like, Slash is soloing, and Robbie Williams just gestures to him in front of the audience and mounts Slash. Uh-huh. Like, it was so exciting. That was what was so fun and is fun about that band that my brother has because it's now called Royal Machines. It's just too fun to see people you like, you know like geeking out over other, like celebrities enjoying each other or artists enjoying each other. I guess that's why they have all those like iconoclasts, casts or all those. Oh, in, those inter- where one person, and Interview or, Magazine was yeah, kind of based on that Yeah, because it just, I think it's just fun to see pe- two people you like. And I often think, not often, sometimes think of, I imagine like, you know, whatever, the Stones hearing this song for the first time. Or, you know, you think, totally. I wonder what it was like for them when they first heard this song. Totally. It's, it's just fun. Yeah. Um, have you ever done any of those interview magazines where you interview someone or they interview you? Or no, anything? I just have the classic and I name them all myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that was an interview, was it? Yes. Oh, it was? It was my interview magazine. <laughs> they put pulled sound bites. It was actually funny because I was such a fan. I mean, who wasn't of Interview Magazine? So finally it came my turn. And I had always a good relationship with photographers. I grew up with a lot of them. I happened to like having my picture taken back then. And I almost felt more uncomfortable modeling stuff, you know, like for for 
you know, publicity, which is not really modeling, but it's like taking, you know, le less anxiety would come up than when I'm acting, for example. Having your photo taken, you liked it, you were comfortable with I it, felt you're good at it. like yeah. less stressed about it than acting, which I love acting, but it brings up more. But anyway, so, but for some reason, the photographer, this very good Italian photographer who's taking my interview magazine picture, Anyway, the, I was I was like 16 or 17 and I was sort of feeling shut down or not animated and he was like you look like a corpse give me something more. What a what great bedside manner. I know. And then I was like fuck this guy. But I had a cool look. It was like sort of like um like Latina, I'm sure that's appropriation, but it was like a cool dress off my shoulders and my hair was like wet curls and it was beautiful big silver earrings but anyway and then they for the for the the I did a whole interview you know as it happens you do these interviews and you love the person interviewing you sometimes and you feel so you know safe safe and, yeah. they pull out i have a dog named elvis and a cat named franny and i named them all myself exclamation <laughs> point <laughs> Like, now, do you feel that that quote doesn't quite sum up the depth of your f philosophy or your approach to living? No, because, I mean, the, the part that's very me is that I love names. And it's interesting that it would be like, you know, Franny was from Franny and Zoe, a Salinger book. And Elvis was like from Elvis Costello. And like the references are very me. And so you would have been proud. Animals yeah. are very me. But the pride, and ex <laughs> I named them all myself. Like... I was just like, firstly, I don't know if I said all. I probably, he said, who named them? I named them myself. <laughs> oh, my, myself. I named them myself. But I named them all myself, exclamation point. It's like a little kid. And I'm like, it's weird with this sexy picture of like a 17-year-old seductress. And then, I, anyway, I guess it speaks to the like excitement about things like animals and yeah there is something it's funny because it does they sound did it's most me this it does sound kind God. of insane but they did tap into some kind of very like childlike enthusiasm you have about something unless the photographer was like i hated her and said to the interviewer can you make her sound like an idiot <laughs> <laughs> together we're weirder, we're weirder together hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, beautiful babies. I'm Ben Lee. And I'm Ioni Sky. And we are the hosts of Weirder Together podcast. If you enjoy our podcast, you might like some of the podcasts that our friends make and release on the Weirder Together podcast network. Like punk legend Jello Biafra's Renegade Roundtable. Multidisciplinary artist Brock Enright's trippy sonic journey, Vague Data. Making Ways, the art of music, an exploration of the ways that musicians and visual artists communicate and collaborate. Raw Impressions with Lou Barlow and Adele Barlow. I love that, one of my favorite married couples. And The Blag Show with Sarah and Sally, a collection of never-before-heard vintage interviews with legendary artists. And The Future of Being a Musician with Ben Lee. Find these pods on your favorite podcast platform now. Love ya. Androgynous. 
So Interview Magazine, in, in a perfect uh, conversational callback, I've done, I interviewed Liz Fair for. Whoa. And me and Robbie Williams played the Interview Magazine party oh. in 2000, no, 1999 at South by Southwest in Austin. And I remember he was bringing <laughs> this stadium show to America. It's kind of like what Deep Faith did here was that thought out, but it was like he had backing tracks and singers and he's he working this edge and it's his little club. Like we did it like Stubbs or something, like one of those, you know, just clubs in Austin. And I was like, for the life of me, just figuring out how to get a band together and hold it together on stage. And he went first. It was a South by Southwest thing. Oh, firstly, it was funny because we were sitting on the Sort of, I just remember we were sitting eating falafel, me and my band. We were all sitting on a curb before mm -hmm. soundtrack. And Robbie came out of his bus and he went to shake Lara's hand. But Lara had tahini all over her hands and she went, uh, I can't. So he pretended to shake and then he went down the line pretending to shake each Love of her hands. It. But I did feel he sort of like, it, it was interesting. My sense was he did feel a little rejected Aww, in that moment. And yeah. it's, I, I haven't known much about him except that he, um, he did express that he had some admiration for the way I... When I was going through my whole, this is the best album of all time in Australia, best album since Back in Black, he thought that was hilarious. And that's why in the song Kids that he does with Kylie, he uses the line, I've been dropping beats since Back in Black. That was a reference to my lyric. Amazing. So, but anyway, so, but then he, he did, so he went on first because he had more gear. So they needed this huge long soundtrack. Everyone was there. I remember seeing Fred Schneider in the audience, nice. you know, like there was just, so many people, it was like Robbie Williams, like everyone who followed international culture, like could, and then it just, he played and it was great. And then the room just cleared and Aww. we played and we played pretty badly. Oh, no. And I remember like we were kind of being put up as sort of like equal, like young, young bucks having a shot at the title. Yeah. And just, we, you know, he, what's interesting is he was ready. Yeah. Artistically yeah, yeah, at that yeah. moment, but it didn't happen. Right. I was not ready and it didn't happen. <laughs> so, oh, I, gonna say so, so I don't know what the moral is of that, but it's interesting. I don't know what did or I don't know if you, I think you did happen. No, he didn't ever break America. No, you, you did. Oh, yeah. But at that moment, uh, Breathing Tornadoes did not break in America. Oh, okay. What's breaking? Um, it's like just something. Like having a hit, you know, getting, yeah. uh, I mean, on the, in the most basic business level, becoming profitable. I wonder what films of mine broke. Well, it's, it's not that hard to figure out. I can tell you. The ones that made money? Oh, yeah. I guess I don't even know that. It's just the ones that made money. Okay. It's like Say Anything was a hit. River's Edge was a hit considering its budget. Right, it's yeah. It's definitely made yeah, more yeah, than yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not sure about gas food lodging. That was critically acclaimed. Yeah, and yeah. And for that, that's what's important right. for an indie food. How was Fever Pitch? Did that commercially succeed? Mm, I don't think so. Not quite, yeah. Um. And Wayne's World, I had one scene, but yeah. that hit. Zodiac. Hit. I, oh, it was a grower. Yeah. I feel like show. Zodiac maybe didn't like make all that money at the beginning, but it's but had it has, a real life to it. I think it's made now in the long, it's, it's been a, what's it called? A long, long race? No. The long game? Playing the long game? Yeah, long game. How about Habit? <laughs> <laughs> How about David Goldberg? <laughs> David Goldberg has definitely... Uh, Broke. Short film you directed based on the Dan Klaus novel with Jenna Malone. Yeah, because my kid Kate, she and all her friends used to watch it a lot. 
Yeah, that's true. And then we just showed it to Naomi Fry, and she yeah. loved it. So the, I mean, I don't know if it made its money back. I don't think. I'd say it definitely <laughs> didn't. I, I think that's easy to calculate. I think it did cost about two thousand dollars to make, and has not generated one cent. Wow. So yeah, that's I think a good like, budget. We got a lot done for that. That was three days of shooting. We got a high end editor. Well, and it was before. Um, I mean, a DP. oh my god! But do you remember? Wasn't that the one where the editor oh, was a no, junkie it wasn't. and disappeared yeah, with the no, hard drive? No, I meant the DP was high end. Oh, yeah. The Morgan editor. Sasa I got confused because his brother's a high end editor. No, yeah. we got that was so crazy. So I gave it to an editor suggestion person, and they were professional. I thought, but then. I don't know. I just got a weird feeling. And then I went around to where they lived and I just I just started feeling the, the interactions. I was like, this person's a drug addict. I just knew it. And I can't prove it, but I think once I I like went down like a mobster yeah, to like to get, get your drive my back. stuff back. And then finally, yeah, he wasn't in his place, but he really was. And that's never a good sign. And then I got it back and then gave it to a really good editor. Yeah, and it got done. And that was uh, um, Connor, right? Or Connor? I think so. It was someone at Connor's office, maybe. Or oh, yeah, Connor yeah, yeah, did, yeah. yeah. Now, anyway, sorry, this you've is very taken, exciting. No, 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 but this is the real stuff that like when you're making... Now, Goldie's been on a bit of a filmmaking journey mm. and she's going to come in and have a little chat about that. Yeah. yeah. So, Goldie Lee, welcome to Weirded Together Podcast once again. Thank you for having me. Our most regularly returning guest. I've only been on here like three times. That's more than anyone else. Really? Yeah, totally. So you've been on a little filmmaking journey lately? Yes, I have. How's that been going? Well, I got a camera. I spent my money on it. Oh, your birthday money? Didn't realize how expensive cameras were. I know. First you were like, let's go buy a, a good film camera for like $100 or something. Well, not, yeah. I knew it yeah. was more than that, but I thought that you could get something good for not that much. Yeah. Because especially like phones, like you were saying. Yeah. They're so good. that like good cameras that are better than phones are like $900. I wanted to show her Tangerine. That was shot on an oh, iPhone. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. But so you got yourself a nice Sony, what, SV10? And what, what's it been like? It's kind of meant for like vloggers, but it's good because the quality is like really good. And it's just nice like learning about how like a camera works because I've always made like movies on my phone and stuff even when I was little. Totally. And the quality is better, isn't it? Yes. And what, so you've now made, you've made like two or three little films in the last yeah. few days? Yeah. And what have you learned? How's it, tell me about working with actors. Well, the only actors I really worked with were kids, which is, I don't think, a great place to start when working with yes. actors. Yes. Well, no, you did one with a friend. Oh, that's true. And one with me as a killer with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the one with, I mean, the kids were, it was like fun because I, I got what I I think it ended up good, but like. <sighs> what a director. It was fun because I got what I wanted. <laughs> I remember. Yeah. It's it's hard to learn how to how to speak. I, remember, I didn't want to be mean. I know. I remember when saying to my brother, do it again, just better. I mean, yeah. that's like not you can't a say good that to kids. To say. I know. Well, it's really protecting. The, and also you just read the Janet McCurdy book, which is a lot about how adults that talk to kids. That book was so good. Yeah. It was crazy, right? And you saw a short film that she made too. That was Insane. You showed me that last night and I was incredibly disturbed by it. It's, yeah. oh my God, especially after reading the book, it's insane. Yeah. This is the Jan Jeanette McCurdy, I'm glad my mom died. Yes. Right, yeah. Um, I don't like like reading nor listening to books that much, but I liked listening to the book. It's just about things have to tickle your interest, you know, yeah. you got to get. Um, and so what, do you have another project in mind? 
You're working on your next thing? I can't really like think of things at the moment. Like my mind just like stopped thinking. So. You're you're good at um your personality is so good for being a director because you're confident and either you- my ideas are like way too big and like hard or they're just like boring. So it's interesting about boring with art because sometimes like Boring for me. Like it's not something I want to work on. Yeah, right, right, right. Because like the things that are possible, I'm like a kid. So it's like, you know. Yeah, but isn't it cool? Like remember you used to have ideas and executing them would be actually impossible. And now there's so much more that you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Like I can do things, but. Yeah. Oh, you've picked a way to do it with, you know, not a huge cast and a few locations. I'm impressed with the way you've been shooting. Because when and your I'm, shots are great. Right now I can't actually film what I'm interested in because I'm like interested in more like psychological stuff and like horror and like all the things. Like I love like video essays about like things on YouTube. I need to show you more of them. Okay. They're so good. But like on filmmaking? N- no. No, on like murder. Oh. Not like, well, <laughs> but like psychology. really, like more like psychology and something that's like insane. Yeah. Like I just think that, I think like criminal psychology is so interesting, like criminals' minds and like yeah. why people are the way they are. Like I think that's so I know. Cool. It's obviously a fascination, mainly for women, but the, the amount of podcasts and. I don't listen to like those true crime podcasts that are like, this girl was kidnapped and murdered. Like it's more just like. This guy ate people and like, <laughs> like I think that's interesting. Right. That's a perfect age that your age, not perfect age, but I'm saying that's, I feel like people start getting I watched one that interested. I was listening to it in the car with mom because it's kind of like there's visuals, but you can also just listen to oh, it. Oh yeah, I love those. But um, you made me turn it off. Oh, I thought it was that one where there, oh, this was just more mystery. It was about a... Uh, the most it was about the most disturbing human experimentation. Oh, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> also, I when I'm why I say it's your age, like I had the stomach for things when I was younger. Oh my god, Dad, when you made that story and then anymore. you got your parents got it. I know. I told her I home. told that on the pod a few weeks back when Lauren Lapkus and Mike Castle were about when my story got sent home when I wrote that Vietnam horror shows. Yeah, because you just don't know yeah. how about pain. I mean, you know about pain. I've never but heard not... you yawn on a podcast. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Like, but I'm, you're like really relaxed, sitting, don't you? Uh, the way I'm sitting, I don't know what's going on. Um, yeah, I think that you get intrigued at a certain age, and it's not that you don't have a depth of feeling. Of course you do, but you just, as you get older, you, like, you see how hard life is, and maybe you just think, oh, I, I would, I, you know, this is too hard to listen yeah. to. Yeah. Well, I think that's more with like, Cause I don't. It's not like I watch this like everyday like things. Like it's history things. It's not like things that are happening currently. Like it's all mm. things like hundred years ago or like. Yeah, I saw this thing about there was a thing about the first n- serial killer documented serial killer in history. When was that? When was the first documented? They don't know for sure, but it was like a really long time ago. Cause they found a ton of bones in a cave with like a big drop. Whoa. So it seemed like this guy was pushing people and like in this cave and they found so many bones and it was like ages ago. Because think about how many serial killers happened like so long ago that were just never caught because there weren't like any security cameras or anything. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And before, even before like fingerprinting technology. Yeah. Because think about that. Like, in they the had 60s, everything. 70s and 80s and 90s, there was a big spike in serial killers. There aren't many serial killers nowadays, but... 
it was big in like 90s, 80s, 70s mainly. Oh, I didn't know there weren't that many today. I mean, think about all the like big serial yeah. killers. Yeah, but why is that? Is there a reason for that? Because of first of all, the, not even just security, people are more aware now and people know not to hitchhike and oh, not to like, right. like yeah. people are kind of more conscious almost yeah, about yeah, how yeah. things are kind of dangerous. Like, especially with women, I feel like it's more like don't get in random cars with guys and yeah. don't hitchhike and don't do all those things. Well, Goldie, thank you for not only coming and sharing some great filmmaking experience, but also just warnings to people that, guys, don't hitchhike. This is why we brought Goldie in today. There's an increasing hitchhiking problem in our communities, and we want to just hit that on the head right now. Let's cut it out, beautiful babies. Cut it out with the hitchhiking. (laughs) You know what I'm really excited about? What? The upcoming launch of a new podcast on our network. Oh, my God. Called Subtle Urban Sex Appeal um, with our friends Safi and Malik. And it is um, Malik Saka and Safi Halanfara. And it is so good. We taped the first episode the other night. I mean. And it was just. Like, uh, my dogs ran away. That's how distracted I was. (laughs) It was. It's fun. They came back. I was trying to describe to Malik how you know we're building this thing with weirder together and like talk about uh, not profitable our company everything we're making we're just making things yeah. we're making as much as we can do time yeah. wise money wise and it's not yet like generating a lot of money but I do believe that by being part of cool things with we're a great like, vibe we're like Martha Stewart 1982 <laughs> oh, we're yeah, just like in us. we're just setting a but table but no insider trading no, we're because they're early. We're before. We're, we're gonna get there. We're getting there. Just slow, slow, steady on. But we're at the time. We're passionate about our life and what we're doing. The way she was about setting that Thanksgiving table mm. and the gardening, and she just was like just living and breathing it. And we're kind of living and breathing it. And then slowly you learn how to sell to Kmart and brand exactly. <laughs> and how are you? Are you feeling as excited? as me about this Sousa podcast subtle urban sex appeal I'm I don't I've made I'm I can't be overexcited but I I am I'm like overexcited I I'm I'm it's for my demographic yeah what's that that's Women in their fifties. Well, I'm not exactly. I'm a little. I'm a little. <laughs> I don't know if you're the demographic. I'm queer fifties married person. But anyway, I don't know what I am. But I'm. I'm excited because it's like I'm. I I can just understand most of it, and I'm just, <laughs> the pop cultural references. Yes, but it's like they're but it's their so intellect and funny their humor and smart. And, yeah. Anyway, I don't even know how to. Uh, I'm overwhelmed. Yeah, so know. hopefully we're gonna drop so that good. this week. So hopefully we'll so we'll push fun. we'll push that first episode into this I'm feed just too, so people can check I it out. I think it's yeah. gonna be mega. It is. It's gonna be really, really exciting. Um, so I'm off to Australia this week. Mm-hmm. I'm going. This is now. This is a Tassie only trip. Map of Tassie. Map of Tassie. I did this trip because I'm going to my nephew's wedding in Launceston on Saturday. I love how you say that. On Friday and Saturday. Launceston. And so I called my booking agent. I was like, dude, I have not played in Tasmania book, for so book long. End this let's marriage. Book, let's bookend the marriage. Oh, uh, their marriage. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm playing in Hobart on Thursday night and Launceston on Sunday night. A Launceston. That's right. So, yeah, Mapatazi is what you call a vagina bush. Yeah. <laughs> right? If I you're like in that the line. <laughs> Mapatazi is what you call a vagina bush. Because Tasmania is a shape like a triangle. That's true. And yeah. if you were, you know, 
I don't know if it's popular again to have a bush, but if you do and you have a triangle. If it ever goes out of fashion in Tasmania, there's going to be real, it's going to be an identity crisis. <laughs> there's, they're so far behind that it's now in fashion to shave everything <laughs> off just when everyone's growing it back. But anyways, you can get tickets for that through my website. And it's only, I'm going for six days. So we'll do the next pod remotely. But um, but I'll be back next. It's Six such a quick days trip. a week. I love, I love you. Yeah, I'm glad it's six and not three and a half like last time. Yeah, that was a mega, mega. That upload. was terrible. Yeah. So um, I uh, I think that's it. All right. Well, beautiful babies. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for enjoying... hanging in there. Thanks for enjoying the journey. By the way, did you see the uh, Hobart? When I did a little interview about the upcoming shows. And what they pulled to make their headline was, Ben Lee's Lounge Room is the place to party. How about that? And Americans, lounge, lounge room means living room. Oh, right. You don't say lounge room. And also we call sofas, sofas or couches, and you call them lounges. Wait. Do you call a sofa a lounge? Couch. Yeah, a couch, yeah. a lounge. More likely a couch. A lounge. Well, sofa is a couch. Yeah, we use couch. You use couch in America. Yeah, but we don't use lounge. Oh, you don't use lounge. What about a chaise lounge? Yeah, that we use. Yeah. I'm glad we found some kind <laughs> And we of do lounge. Weirder together, bonding bridges between cultures. Ben and I are holding hands like <laughs> We're a, holding hands like, like we're conquering, conquering the cultural divide. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, age gap. Love you. We'll see you soon. Beautiful babies.